Welcome to everyone. Adan Damas here from Damagiri Forest Hermitage, and we are on part three of our introduction to the Noble Eightfold Path. And the third path factor we're discussing today is normally translated as white speech. Uh, that is a literal translation. Sama Vacha in Pali, and Vacha is speech. However, we have to consider in the Buddha's time, virtually all communication was via speech. Even the spiritual teachings were all given orally, verbally. So the, the Buddha would speak, the monks and uh, their community nuns, they would listen, uh, and then remember it by heart. It was all by verbal communication. However, in our society, if you contemplate or consider how much of your communication is actually by speaking with your physical mouth and how much of your communication is, for example, by electronic means, social media, whether it's email, whether it's tweets, whether it's up loading your profile on uh, Facebook or Instagram, whether you're sharing photos or whether you are uploading uh, videos, uh, whether you are sending text messages or WhatsApp, whether you're doing FaceTime or whether you're doing Skype or whatever. So there's a tremendous proliferation nowadays of channels, how we can communicate And of course, although the Buddha didn't mention that because they didn't exist in those days, they didn't exist until very recently, obviously all the factors of white speech have to be applied to that, to social media, to video sharing, to text messaging, to telephoning and emailing. And this is why I like the translation white communication as someone who's uploading a photo onto Instagram may not realize you know, that uh, this is actually part of the Eightfold Path and we are making a comma there. We shouldn't underestimate how much good or bad comma we can make by communicating. In fact, you know, the Buddha established the sasana mostly through communication, mostly through speaking in his case. So all this tremendous impact now over millennia and people being able to free themselves from suffering and realize Nibbana. Now all of that was made possible by you know, the Buddha's act of communication and then all the other monks, nuns and uh, outstanding lay practitioners and their communication. Is also an excellent area for practice in general because you find once you get reasonably well established in your precepts, say in lay life, once you have got the five precepts clear, uh, often you don't have to do so much. You become quite used to keeping these five precepts and spending your day with focusing on keeping these five precepts. There wouldn't be uh, too much to be done there. On the other hand, if you try to purify the mind and we try to only think skillfully, particularly in daily life, if you're busy, uh, that may be too subtle and you may not be able to 
constantly observe your thoughts and uh, control your mind or develop your mind uh, while you're busily engaged in your daily activities. However, uh, communication, whether by speech or by messages or photos, is usually between the two. So it is more... Uh, it's coarser than just thinking. So we can usually notice when we communicate what we're doing. There's thoughts and it may take quite a while to be even notice what we're thinking. By communication, we usually notice. But it's not quite as coarse as physical action. So it's, it's a really good exercise. In particular, as people communicate so much nowadays, it's a really good exercise for developing the Eightfold Path and this particular factor. And it's an excellent opportunity for avoiding bad karma and making lots of good karma. Old style, if one just speaks, there's usually one person or a couple of persons who will be affected by that. And then the, the karma is more limited. If you just send out one tweet and for whatever reason that thing goes viral, potentially millions of people may see that and may have an impact on them. It may incite them to states of aversion or desire or delusion. And the, the karma can be very considerable. Can be very um, noticeable good or bad karma. I remember there was a case in Singapore that was discussed quite widely, and I think that was a, a banker, I think it was a foreign national working in Singapore in banking, in an executive position, and one day, against his normal habit, for some reason he had to take the subway, the MRT they call it, I think, in Singapore, the public transport, and then he sent, I think it was a little tweet, where he complained about the, the smell of poor people <laughs> which he had to endure in the public transport. And that thing went viral. And in the end, it caused so much commotion that he lost his job over that one. Although know, he was an executive in banking. It's just one example you know, about the direct quick karma which we can even experience in our life here and now. I'm not even talking about a karma that may be experienced only in future life. So what are the forms of wrong and wide communication of wholesome, beneficial communication leading to Nibbana or the opposite? The, uh, the most important is truthfulness. Not to be connected with truth in whatever we say, such as Sandha in Pali. Not tied to truth. And to be reliable, to be trustworthy in all our communication. Which means, if you are in doubt, or if you don't really know, then we shouldn't put it out as if we know. And that is also already a form of lying. If I just assume and I present it as if I know, it's already not, not quite correct anymore. 
or if I only heard that someone has done it and I say, oh, I saw him doing that, this is already wrong. Even if in the end it turns out that the person actually did that, but I said I saw him doing it, whereas in reality I only heard someone else saying that they saw him. It's already actually lying. It's no longer really truthful. And so the very first of the four aspects of white communication is truthfulness. And that is the one which we know from the five precepts. Not all, not all of the other factors of white communications are included in the most essential five precepts, but the one about truthfulness and about abstaining from lying from false communication. Now that is even part of the five precepts which shows now how incredibly important it is. It's actually interesting if we look at that from a very refined level. For example, in the sending photos and videos nowadays, there's also a form of communication. You take a photo of a, whether it's a selfie of yourself or whether you are taking a photo or a video of some uh, demonstration and something happening there or some violence happening or whatever. And then you put that out on social media and you're obviously communicating. And it's very interesting to contemplate you know, where are the borderlines between truthful communication and between lying or at least misrepresenting. With speech, it's still a little bit clearer, mostly. But for example, you know, photoshopping, at what stage becomes photoshopping actually a little bit close to lying. This is no longer really what was represented there. And uh, this becomes a real issue now with these uh, deep fake, what they call deep fake videos. And nowadays you can have a person and put any kind of uh, speech into their mouth, so to speak, and it looks very convincing. It looks like they're really saying that. Now, that obviously would be lying if we do a deep fake video and then just put that out. But that is still fairly high tech. But uh, anyone nowadays, or even on your mobile phone, you have probably have some programs where you can manipulate the images which you take. I mean, we are doing that right now because we have increased the brightness level of our live video. And I don't think this is any issue of not being truthful. It just looks better and is a bit brighter. But once we do more photoshopping, when does it hit the, the level where it becomes actually misrepresenting and being a little bit like falsehood? So I encourage everyone to become aware of that, to be mindful of that. How we use images, videos, how we share them, and to investigate carefully where's the line between truthfulness and, and falsehood there. Um, 
The second factor of white speech is the polite, gentle speech. The parasan vacha in Pali is a rough speech, hurtful speech, an offensive speech. Using four-letter words, using terms of abuse or insults. But not only that, it can also be sometimes just raising one's voice too much, speaking too roughly, and can have quite a big impact on people. And it's interesting again to transfer that to electronic communication. Some people, when they put comments, they like to do it in all capitals. Have you seen that people desperately try to attract attention with using all caps? And generally, this is considered in a poor form. It's a bit like screaming at someone. And maybe bold, red, bold, all caps. And you feel like someone is screaming at you. But the Buddha recommended our communication should be polite, it should be something to be easy on the ears, something that is reaching the heart, something that is endearing, something that sounds pleasant. So and again, we have to apply that also to images, you also have to apply that to video, to emails. One thing I noticed that uh, natural inhibition we seem to have in face-to-face interaction about not becoming too rough or too short with people seems to be missing an email. In general, I have actually found once you have some issues or people get upset and then the email is flying back and forth, it, it usually always gets worse. You can't really resolve it. My recommendation would actually be to rather even just the phone and call someone or meet them personally if possible. In my experience, once the uh, email has gone wrong and people get upset and exchange accusations and try to correct each other, I didn't say that. Although you can actually scroll down and you have all the previous communication further down, it, it still doesn't work and one needs a different form of communication. Many email programs have a function of delayed sending. Do you know that one? Yeah. You can build in, let's say, 10 seconds or one minute. So it means once you hit the send button for your email, it looks like it's cute now and it will be sent in 10 seconds or one minute but you may remember that it has happened you sent an email and the moment you sent it you already realize oh this this wasn't a good idea <laughs> it was too late and it's out and if you have this little delay then you can actually still there's some other button and you can still stop it because that is still the same. They say once a word has left your mouth and you can't take it back anymore. Unfortunately, it's very similar and even worse. And then nowadays, whatever you may put on your Facebook or what is this app, Harley, where they where the messages get deleted automatically after a short time? Is it Snapchat. Snapchat. 
So even if you have an app like Snapchat where all your communication is automatically deleted very quickly, you never know if someone is taking a screenshot and then the screenshot is still there. And nowadays, once it goes out, you may never be able to scrub that out of the global internet for the rest of your life. And if someone Googles you, that stuff may come up. So it's very good not to also build in a delay button in our mind, so to speak, before any speech goes out or before any communication goes onto the internet. Now we have a mindfulness investigating, just like the Buddha told his own son, Vendabha Rahula, as a young Samanera, that whenever you are about to communicate, the reflect beforehand, is that communication actually beneficial for me? Is it beneficial for others? Is it beneficial for both? And if so, then go ahead. If you find it's unbeneficial for everyone, then don't communicate like that. So uh, communicating in a polite, friendly, gentle, easy on the ear, pleasing, endearing. And the same with our videos and images which we share. And the next factor is in Pali, Pisuna Vacha. We don't really have a very good word for that in English. It's basically communication which is truthful. But doing this communication leads to a rift between people. The way it's described, when you hear what someone is saying about someone else, so X is saying to Y, that they really can't stand A for these reasons. They are stupid and coarse and have got no clue. So now I overhear that and I go to A and I say, oh, do you know what X is actually saying about you? I'm not lying. It's not in a sense misrepresenting anything. X actually really did say that, not to A's face, but to someone else. And I just overhear that, and then I just report it. And most likely, the A is now quite upset that they're considered stupid, coarse, and incompetent by, by X. And now they may say something bad about X, and they may say, oh, I didn't expect anything else from X. And I always knew this is a jealous, conceited person. So I take that, and then I go back to X, and I tell X now, do you know what A is saying about you? That you are a conceited, arrogant person? Now X has an even worse opinion of A, and the next time they meet, it will be a very frosty meeting. And it's unlikely that they will even bring these things up. And so there's no chance of correcting it or apologizing, nevertheless, there's this very bad relationship. It's often translated as malicious tail-bearing, but it's actually a two-tail. 
But the intention is to deliberately make someone look bad. The opposite, what the Buddha does recommend, is speech that leads to harmony, speech that leads to an concord that brings people together so that those who have a problem and who have conflict are gradually being reconciled by our speech and that those who are already in concord become even closer friends, like themselves even better. And for example, X speaking with Y and explaining that they really admire A because A is so incredibly generous. This is something one can report. If you now go to A and you say, oh yeah, I hear you're really generous, but how do you know? Now uh, X was saying and he really admires your generosity and that you are so sacrificing for the benefit of others and for the sasana. We can imagine that A now gets quite a positive feeling about X, isn't it? And then A may say, yeah, I always had a good feeling about A, and they are so knowledgeable whenever you ask them anything about the Dhamma, X, X really can explain it, and I always admired how knowledgeable and smart X is. Now we report that back to X, but A feels that they are so knowledgeable and smart and intelligent. And now imagine A and X next time when they meet, they will be like old friends, smiling at each other and liking each other. I think this is an aspect of white communication which is very weak in our society. The awareness even of that is very weak. And we should particularly consider that when we are sharing social media communication. So you put something out which you got shared from someone else and now you're shared with all your friends. We have to ask, what is our motivation there? But first we have to check whether this particular info we are sharing now even if it comes from someone you know, one of your friends on Facebook or whatever, but you don't know whether they have right information. First, we have to check truthfulness. If something is if something is wrong and you share it, one kind of starts signing into that, and if it turns out to be completely fake, one can say that. By sharing that, we are already offending the principle of truthfulness. We should share only something once we know that it's truthful. We should share it only if it's not offensive and inciting and hurting. The funny thing is that people get so agitated and they say, oh, this person, look what they have tweeted, isn't that offensive? And then they share it with everyone. <laughs> but what is the point of that? then the, the offense becomes even worse. And now everyone of your friends is also reading these offensive statements and, and uh, the harm and the damage is even greater. And so 
we have to be careful not to do that. If it's an offensive speech, if you feel this is really insulting or racist or whatever it may be, why then would you want to share it with all our friends? And then particularly the third factor, does it lead to harmony? Or does it lead to uh, further putting different groups up against each other? And maybe it was an injustice, which someone has witnessed there, but the way we're sharing it, there's an argument about exposing it, and that is correct. Sometimes it needs to be exposed to be addressed. But sometimes it's also shared and it just leads to, to more conflict and to more negative attitude between these different groups you know, who already are in a clinch, can't get on and have negative prejudice against each other. And we are seeing that now happening right now in the US. You know, whether it's between different races, whether it's you know, police and non-police, whether it's between uh, Democrats and Republicans, whether it's between minorities, majorities, and so on. And there's already so much conflict. So I think it's very important that we ask ourselves now, not only is it true what I'm sharing or what I contribute there, but does it actually lead to more harmony or is it just another contribution to inflame conflict even more? And it requires uh, quite a bit of wisdom to tell that apart. It's very important that uh, uh, misbehavior get, gets exposed so that it can be addressed and uh, changed. But there's a difference between exposing something with the intention and in a way that it can then be recognized and changed, or just further inflaming conflicts which are already there. So we have to be careful and with mindfulness and wisdom to distinguish these two very clearly so that our communication uh, leads to more harmony, leads to concord, leads to peace, leads to the calming down and diminishing of conflicts and arguments, not inflaming them further. And finally, the last factor of white speech, white communication. Uh, the, actually, let's start with the negative part there. And the Buddha called it Sampapalapa. <laughs> and even if people don't understand Pali, you may be able to translate Sampapalapa. What kind of speech is Sampapalapa? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's amazing how 2,500 years and it sounds still similar. It's just blah, blah, blah. There's an idle chatter. It's a typical translation. It's just blah, blah, blah. And there's something which is not of real value, which is not of benefit, which doesn't serve any real purpose. And the Buddha wants us to do the opposite. He wants us to avoid blah, 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 to avoid idle chatter, to avoid useless information. Almost everyone has got information overload nowadays anyhow. 
the emails and many people find it impossible to even just keep up with their emails and all the, the spam flowing in and uh, all these CC and you know, some people love to put all these CCs and they get all these useless emails where they have CC'd you and it has nothing to do with you. So the Buddha recommended you know, that our communication Nidanavatim, it should be something that is worth to be treasured. <laughs> what we communicate, and that others should, should be able to treasure that, and it should have such a high standard, it should be so meaningful. It should be having meaning, it should be uh, reasoned, it should be logical, that is communicated at the right time, is communicated in a polite and suitable form, and it goes to the heart, it's connected with Dhamma, it's connected with the discipline, it is about generosity, it's about precepts, it's about developing samadhi, it's about purifying the mind, it is about developing insight and wisdom and freedom and liberation, that kind of communication. So if you look at your electronic communication, your emails, your tweets, your photos, your videos, your selfies, which you have shared and which you put out, and if you are honest, now how much of that is really connected with Dhamma Vinaya? How much of that is really well-reasoned, logical, meaningful, beneficial, having a point? If you're really, if you're really honest, then maybe not really that much. So why putting that all out? It's not like there's a lack of videos on on YouTube or a lack of posts on Facebook. No, there's so much around. Anyhow, is it really necessary that we have to send that selfie of ourselves or that photo of some product we have bought? And what what is our point? So maybe to summarize it once more, you know, there's four factors of why communication, and very importantly, you know, that includes social media, that includes all electronic communication, the whole internet, whatever we put out there. That is all part of why communication, and it can be very strong karma, both good and bad, which we are making there. And if you put out... Uh, some fantastic Dhamma talk and you share the link you know, with many people and some people are you know, watching that and you know, may even feel inspired to take refuge or even inspired to ordain as a monk or a nun and you make tremendous good karma. On the other hand, there's some uh, violent tweet which you share and which goes viral and which is further inciting and war and conflict and fighting and, and hate between different groups. A lot of bad karma which can happen as well. So it's really important to have that mindfulness and to have that filter, to have that delay function before we put it out. There's a faculty of mindfulness and wisdom evaluating 
according to the four factors of white communication. Number one, is it truthful or is it false? And false also means we are not quite sure what it is. If, if you are in doubt, you don't have no idea. Someone is sharing something, I have no idea whether it ever happened, whether it is fake news or real news or a joke or whatever. But then I, I can't share it. I first have to make sure that it's true. Uh, second, a polite speech, a friendly, gentle, reaching the heart, pleasing, uh, avoiding uh, insults and harsh, offensive communication. And images and videos can also be quite harsh and offensive. The third, uh, avoiding malicious tailbearing, uh, telling negative things we have heard to the person concerned. We avoid that, but instead we want to communicate and to bring those who are in conflict closer together to reduce the conflict. And those who are already uh, you know, okay with each other, and to bring them even closer, to make them friends, to make them appreciate each other even more. You know, communication that leads to concord and harmony. And number four, you know, to avoid useless communication. I think this is maybe the strongest of all nowadays. The endless amounts of uh, photos, videos, tweets. Everyone wants to put their five cents in. But how much of that is actually connected with the, with the goal of uh, reducing suffering and uh, leading towards freedom and liberation? How much of that is connected with Dhamma and Vinaya? How much of that is even fulfilling the basic conditions like being in a reasonable, well-reasoned, logical? So sometimes a good communication, so to speak, is adio tunhi bavo, noble silence. That's a good trick to make it easier. Because if you are silent... That is often an, the, the easiest way not to communicate wrongly. And the Buddha strongly recommended it. He said actually when uh, the monks are together, they should be doing one of two things. Either they should be discussing Dhamma or Vinaya, or they should be keeping the noble silence. Nowadays, there's almost like a, a com compulsive communication. It is as if like people feel that they have to constantly communicate. Many of the younger generation seem to feel that everything will break down if they do not constantly update all their friends on what is happening in their life. But you see, up to 10 or say 20 years ago, no one did that and nothing broke, broke down. It's actually not necessary for everyone I know to know every single day what I'm doing. So they can live quite well without that, that knowledge. It's not necessary. So can we introduce some noble silence even in our electronic communication? 
Is it necessary to update your Facebook every day, to check your feed there every day? Or every hour, for some people, maybe every hour. It's not once a week, maybe enough. Or can we just cease communication for a certain amount of time at least? Can we observe in our mind this uh, compulsion to communicate? Does it really have to go out all the time? And once we develop awareness and mindfulness there, yeah, we notice that we are just responding automatically on an impulse. It's not coming from wisdom, from a consideration, you know, how beneficial is that, how truthful, you know, how, how much does it actually lead to people to uh, receive any, any genuine benefit from it. 